Welcome everyone to the Corporate Quitters Podcast. Today we have with us Matt Zahn. Matt, introduce yourself to everyone and tell us what are you doing to make an impact in the world? Thank you so much, Robert, for having me on your show. I appreciate it. And I just want to mention to you, it is an honor and privilege to be connected with you. Uh, we've been connected for several months right now through LinkedIn. That's where we met. And you have been posting outstanding content, just absolutely gorgeous with value. And I very much appreciate that. So you are an incredible content creator. So thank you so much for having me on. A little bit about myself. So I work with leaders that want to persuade with passion through the art of strategic storytelling. I do that through workshops, in-person and virtual. And I also do that through coaching. Oh, wow. So you teach people how to tell better stories. Yes, I, I teach people how to tell a better story, but more importantly, how to, tr how to completely transform their mind in regards to the storytelling process. So one of the things that I mention quite frequently is I am not interested in information, right? Information is extremely cheap. People can Google search how to be better storytellers. They're going to get a billion different results that are going to come up. I'm interested in transformation. So I am interested in people literally transforming their mind in regards to strategic storytelling. And as they're going through experiences, what to look for in order to document that experience in the form of a story so they can tell over and over and over again. So why do people want to tell stories? What's the benefit for them in telling their story? Sure. So last year, Amazon spent $13 billion on advertising. So I want you to think about that. So Amazon, arguably one of the most successful companies in the United States of America, spent 13 billion with a B, $13 billion on advertising. Why did they do that? They did that because they understand if they're not in the forefront of people's minds, they will not be relevant. And they're constantly concerned with two years from now, three years from now, are we gonna to continue to, to remain relevant? So they pump astronomical amounts of revenue into advertising. The reason why I mentioned that as a response to your question is because in order for us to get above the noise, we have to share stories. People see between six and 10,000 messages slash images a day due to social media platforms. In order for us to get above that noise, we have to share stories. We have to share more stories than what a lot of people think. And I always point them to, hey, if Amazon's spending billions of dollars to stay relevant as one of the most successful companies in this country, don't you think that you need to share stories to stay relevant to your network? Absolutely. Now, are these stories limited to leaders in organizations or should everyone be sharing their story? So everyone should be sharing different stories. One of the things that I mentioned to business leaders is they have to create a storytelling culture. So one of the things that CEOs and executives that I work with on are, are just big on is these corporate values. So they have these fundamental corporate values and they, they share them uh, not as frequently as they probably should, right? Because so, they want these values. I always recommend people don't even focus on that. They focus on core stories that connect to those values. And that is what's gonna spur on a culture of storytelling. So for instance, let's say a company value 
is the customer experience. And they really bend over backwards to go out of their way to help their customers. And let's say that is a core company value. More than likely, if it's on a list of 10 other values, the staff are gonna have a hard time remembering all those values. So what is the story that connects to that point? If you truly care about customers, there has to be a team member somewhere that went out of their way to serve a customer that should be captured. It should be that story that should be told amongst other team members. Well, and going back to something you said earlier, you don't really care about the data, right? Because a lot of times what business leaders do is they stand up before a crowd and they say, we did X percent above last year. We did X percent of this and X percent of that. And you can see people's eyes just glaze over, <laughs> you know? And, but when they stand up and they start to tell a real story, that's when people pay attention because you can resonate with someone's story. And so now you have, have built a really good career for yourself as a storyteller or teaching others how to tell their story. What's, what's the most important part of telling your story? What's the most important part of telling an individual story? Yes. So one of the, one of the key elements specific to business is you, one of the things that you had mentioned in another conversation that you and I had was regarding the hero's journey. So a big element of the hero's journey is ordinary world, new reality, ordinary world, new reality. So when you think of Disney who owns Pixar, they own Marvel, they own Star Wars, they, when they bought out Pixar, they incorporated the hero's journey and everything that they did since Pixar. So Pixar's philosophy has always been to incorporate the hero's journey. So for those of, for anyone listening that's not familiar with the hero's journey, uh, it was developed by a gentleman by the name of Joseph Campbell, who was a professor that basically studied in-depth storytelling throughout the last several thousand years. So he did a lot of research regarding the great religions of the world, different novels, different books, and tried to figure out is there a common theme? And the common theme was different elements that they incorporated into a formula known as the hero's journey. Pixar has always used that in their movies. Once Disney bought them out, like I had mentioned, now every movie that's under the Disney umbrella utilizes the hero's journey. If you're sharing a message that's a 20 to 30 second message, or if you're sharing a story that's a two to five minute story, you cannot have all the elements of the hero's journey because it's over a dozen different elements. However, there's one element that we have to incorporate and that is ordinary world, new reality. So for instance, think about any Disney movie that you've seen in the last decade and Typically, what ends up happening is there's a main character, right? The main character is going through life, that's ordinary world, and then boom, that individual hits a wall. They have to get over that wall, and they need a mentor to reach down and pull them over that wall, and that's the new reality. Ordinary world, new reality. That is what we must incorporate into our storytelling. So for individuals that are sharing a product, they're, they're selling a product or service, what's the ordinary world? What's the new reality that your target market's gonna get out of that? If you're sharing information, right? So like people in the thought leadership space that maybe they're not selling a tangible product or even a service, it's more information with trainings and stuff. What is the ordinary world? What's the new reality that people will get from those trainings.
systems. So that is the one key element that people must incorporate into their storage strategy. And that's a valuable piece of information that you've just told us. Uh, and if you think about it, it's all about problem solving. You know, my old reality, I had a problem. And in this new reality, I'm solving it. And when we can communicate that to people, we show them how we can help them solve problems. You know, I spent uh, a big part of my career as an auditor, and we would write these reports, and they would be very dry, you know, very boring, and you would have to present everything that you found to management. But I sure. never had a problem doing it because I would tell the story instead of looking at the data and saying X plus Y is, you know, whatever. So sure. that is a very important part. And so right now, you've actually built an entire company around storytelling where you as you said earlier you help people formulate and tell better stories so i'm assuming that that means that you are really good with words so i my background's in the political arena so in politics we agonize over words um, i'm not as much in that space today i do work with politicians from a one-on-one -on -one coaching perspective but many years ago i was a political speech writer for many different politicians and you really agonize over different aspects of words. What's going to really pull people in? What is going to get them to be inspired to do different actions, whether it is voting for an individual, whether it is uh, supporting a certain piece of public policy from an initiative perspective. So words are extremely important. Uh, story strategy is one of the most important things in the political realm. That is how I got into the storytelling world from a business perspective. What ended up happening was as I continued to study great orators, I noticed the common theme was their ability to tell stories. And then what, what happened from there was as I was really engaged in political messaging strategy, and I've done a lot of debate prep with different candidates, uh, what ended up happening was different business leaders were asking me to come to different meetings and talk about political messaging strategy. And I, I didn't really think anything of it because uh, that was my world. That's what I did day in and day out. And what ended up happening was a lot of business leaders started to come to me saying, hey, can you teach this to my sales team? Hey, can you teach this to my marketing manager? Hey, can you? And I, I started to notice that there was a tremendous amount of value with what a lot of individuals do in the political realm that's not used in business. And I feel like there's this massive gap where business leaders understand that there's some great orators in the political realm, but they don't understand how to tap into that, how to really extract different concepts from the political arena. And that's what I do in my workshops. We do deep dives into political messaging strategy, but how you can utilize that in business. All right, so let, let's think back to when Matt was a little kid. Oh, gosh, that's a scary question <laughs> or comment. The first time that you knew you were in love with words, when was it? What was that sure. moment you were just like, whoa, I, I'm in love with words? Sure. So it, it wasn't when I was a child. It was actually, so I was starting to actually gain attraction in my career. What ended up happening? So I started in the business world. I originally studied uh, business in school. Uh, my goal was to be a VP of sales one day at a, at a, at a large corporation. Um, and I ended up, I started working for a company in B2B sales. We sold everything from toothpicks to microscopes and everything in between. It was a massive, uh, multi-billion dollar uh, corporation. 
in the B2B space. And I, I liked it. It was fine. I, I appreciated uh, the strategy when it came to the sales world. And right around that time, uh, my grandfather was starting to get sick and he was, he was not doing well. And my grandfather uh, had a conversation with me that fundamentally changed uh, my life. Uh, little did I know this would be the last conversation that I would ever have with him. Uh, basically, during this conversation, he implored me to get involved in politics, expressing to me the importance of working with leaders that had courage and integrity. And then he passes away two weeks after this conversation. And I felt a sense of duty, a sense of obligation to, to get involved because this was my hero. This was uh, one of the men that helped raise me. He was an incredible individual. Um, so I felt a sense of, of duty to get involved. And I had a big problem on my hands, which was when this ended up happening, I could not communicate. So believe it or not, I was a terrible communicator. I could not do any kind of public speaking. I had a tremendous difficulty when it came to being in front of an audience. Uh, but what I did was I started getting involved behind the scenes on multiple campaigns. And this was a, a multi, this was a few years in the making. So I would, I would work on different campaigns. I would do my, my corporate job during the day. And then after work, I'd eat dinner and I would be involved in a campaign for hours on end, right? So I would, I would work a nine to five, have dinner, and typically from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., I was working on multiple different campaigns. And this went on for years, but I was doing it behind the scenes, focused on research, because I didn't want to deal or interact with people. And then one thing led to another, and I landed a job working for an influential politician on policy matters. Basically, he said to me, hey, I'm going to give you ideas that I have, and all I needed to do is do research for me, write different bills for me. Hopefully, one day they'll become law, uh, but you're just going to be behind a computer researching. And I said, that sounds amazing. Sign me up. I end up leaving my corporate job, doing that full time. And three weeks into this job, he said, hey, I had a speaking engagement on the calendar to an organization. I can't make this meeting. I now have another obligation. So I need you to go and speak on my behalf. And I'll never forget him looking at me and saying, but I want you to be aware these people at this event, this organization is completely and entirely opposed to this initiative and more than likely, uh, they're going to hate you because they hate me. So death by association, it's, it's going to be a tough event. And I remember just, I, I was blown away. I could not sleep leading up to this meeting. The, the meeting was completely disastrous. It was extremely hostile and toxic. And I remember after that meeting, I, I remember going out to my car, slamming the door, literally grabbing the steering wheel and yelling, that'll never happen again. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm going to learn how to share a message. And I started studying the great orators of the last century, and I did everything I possibly could to learn what was happening in the political realm. And since they already built a lot of different political connections, I started reaching out to these different candidates, these different politicians saying, hey, have you thought about doing this? Hey, have you thought about doing this? One thing led to another, and years after this event happened, I ended up writing speeches for dozens of different politicians, and it just took off from there. So it wasn't that I was a child and I 
I grew that obsession. I, I was already starting to get established within my career and there was the big aha moment. You know, what's, what's really interesting about that story, that, that was so inspirational. And, and, and here's why I say that. So your grandfather, he kind of pushed you in the direction that you're in now. And I say this to people a lot, but oftentimes others see something in you that you can't even see yourself. Uh, you describe yourself as being a bad orator. You didn't want to talk to people. You preferred to stay in the background. But yet you were in sales, and sales kind of requires you to really talk to people. And your grandfather, I'm betting, could see the leadership in you and just kind of gave you the, the nudge that you needed to just go and fly. I mean, that when I was listening to you tell the story, I got goosebumps over here because nice. I'm, I'm just I'm amazed at how other people see things in us that we have no idea. And then to watch it just blossom or to hear about it later, like we're doing now, it's just amazing to me. Um, and and I, can, I can see just how much of a, a figure he was in your life. Uh, wow. And the fact that you went into this hostile environment and you said that you bombed, which I'll take your word for it, but you turn that into a lesson and you learn from it and you actually improved and, and you built something now that's, in my opinion, great. Because when I see you, I think you do great work uh, based off of that failure, you know? Um, so now, was that kind of the worst moment that you had that, that took you from point A to point B that took you on your own hero's journey? Or were there some other things that happened that really shook you to your core and made you say, okay, I need to do this. I need to study harder. I need to work harder. I, I, that's a great question. I feel like we all have a storytelling journey. I don't think it's ever a, a moment where we've arrived. I, there's a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that people put them on a pedestal and they think, wow, can they razzle, just razzle and dazzle an audience? And they're still learning too, right? So I don't care if someone has been in the field for 20, 30 years and they've had thousands of speaking engagements so they could still learn. Um, it was definitely a moment that, it was, it was the moment where I said, I don't care what it's gonna take, I'm gonna learn how to overcome this. Cause I knew, heck, if I wanna be in the political world, even if I wanna be behind a computer all day doing research, in order for me to really get buy-in from other people, I needed to really connect with them from a public speaking perspective. So back to your point regarding sales, uh, my job at that point, or before getting involved in politics was, was inside sales. Um, so I was doing a lot of like phone calls, people one-on-one, -on -one. I wasn't doing speaking engagements. So it was, it was definitely different. Um, along the way, there, there have been peaks and valleys, there's, there's been um, technology issues, there have been travel issues, there, so there's always different things that uh, de definitely, uh, you take a step back and you have to reevaluate and learn from it, but that was definitely the worst that I'd experienced. Um, that was definitely, that was definitely a learning opportunity. Now, the political world is so toxic and hostile that I've been in significantly more rowdy meetings. I've been in I've been in town halls where people, you know, scream their head off at you. So um, extremely more toxic. But by that point, 
I had had so much training in regards in, in how to deal with that, that it wasn't as bad as what happened at that meeting, if that makes sense. So you really oh, yeah. train the muscle and you can get to the point where you can go in front of hundreds of screaming people. And if you really know how to, how to handle that experience, you're going to do well. When I, again, I think the one thing that is so great about that is you used an experience to make you a better person. You didn't cry. You didn't complain. You didn't moan. You're not a victim. You said, here's what happened. Now, what can I do to make it a better place, to make it a better situation? Now, uh, lost my whole train of thought there. That happens occasionally. But no, <laughs> there was something that you said. I was sitting here taking notes because you said one thing that was just really impactful. Oh, you talked about how you were still behind the scenes and you were teaching people how to tell their own story. But now you're really in front. You do workshops, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Clubhouse. Sure. You are the forefront of, you are at the forefront of your business. You are the face of your business. What was the moment when you went from going behind the scene, from being behind the scenes to being in the forefront? How did that happen? Sure. Yeah. So basically what, what ended up happening was once I was in the political world, once I was doing that research, once I built the connections, so now I'm doing uh, speech writing for different politicians, what ended up happening was I became the go-to person for messaging strategies. So I was constantly getting messages from these individuals saying, hey, here's what happened. Can you, can you figure out the messaging behind this? Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? And there were so many reps that were happening. And, and now like when I'm thinking about it now and I think back to those days, there would be hours and hours a day of messages coming in from people saying, hey, can you tweak this to fit this? Hey, can you? And there was so much of that muscle that was being strengthened that when business leaders were asking me, hey, can you come in and train us on X, Y, and Z? It, it was just a natural way to get into that world where I would go in and I would explain to them different experiences they're going through in business, how they can utilize it to grow their business even more. And what ended up happening was I developed a workshop for business leaders on how to not only inspire prospects and clients, but also inspire their team. And then that also led me to do workshops for the nonprofit world. So I also have a workshop for directors of nonprofits on how to boost fundraising. And it just took off from there. And it just became what I was doing full time, uh, going into different organizations and talking about this. So it's typically about two to three hours is the workshop, depending on the organization, somewhat longer, somewhat less. I also do keynotes as well. Uh, during COVID, lunch and learns were really big. So what a lot of companies wanted me to do was come in during like a lunch hour and do about, you know, an hour to an hour and a half that, that they referred to as like a lunch and learn. Um, and then that, that also got me into the coaching world as well when it comes to story strategy. So I still do coaching with, with politicians. It's not near as much as what I did in the past. Um, my focus primarily now is with CEOs and executives. Ah, and what I really like is you keep talking about that muscle. You talked about being afraid initially to be up front and you kept working that muscle and the more comfortable you became, I'm assuming that helped you to become a better speaker, a better public speaker. Because there are a lot of people who are afraid to just get up and speak. And they don't realize you have to do it. And sure. keep doing it. 
and then keep doing it and then keep doing it. So talk to us about Clubhouse. What is that like for you? I mean, it, well, I'm not on Clubhouse yet, but <laughs> there's a lot of talk about it. And I, I noticed on LinkedIn, you have uh, thousands of recommend, no, not thousands, but you have a lot of recommendations uh, from people on LinkedIn. And a lot of them talk about you in Clubhouse rooms and they love you. So what is that experience like for you? Sure. So before the pandemic, so before COVID, I would say I, I spent probably in 2018 and 2019, I had a very strong emphasis on networking. So I had a whole strategy with business uh, going out to multiple networking events, primarily focused with Chamber of Commerce, as well as there's a, there's a lot of different networking events in, in my area. I live in an area um, that has, it's a huge business area. I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. So we have some really big companies in this area. So there's, there's tons and tons of network. There, there's a networking event every, every night of the week, right? And I would go out two to three times every week. I have, I have a young family. I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. So it's tough leaving uh, at least you know, two to three nights a week to go do the, the, the networking. But it, it was yielding me good results, right? Because that was the, the local base of my business. And then I also have a national presence as well, where I do go and I, I would fly to different areas to do speaking engagements. But to focus on the local was primarily the coaching. I, I love doing one-on-one -on -one coaching in person uh, prior to COVID. Um, and there was a toll on my time regarding those networking events. And I do think there's something to be said for connecting with people in person. I don't think networking events will ever go away because I think there is tremendous value in that. But what Clubhouse has done is it has allowed me to 10x my networking. And there are a lot of people that talk about 10x and it, you know, it becomes like kind of foo-foo type stuff. It legitimately has 10x my networking, and here's why. So if you think about going to, let's say, three networking events a week, you need to drive to the event, then you're there for hours. So I'd be at some of these networking events between two and three hours. Then I'm driving home, then I get home, and I'm emailing the individuals that I met. Yep. So you, you think out of a three-hour event, I may connect with, let's say, 10 people, have really good longer conversations with 10 people. Now I'm emailing them to try to stay in touch. What Clubhouse has done is within the same amount of time, I can hop into multiple different rooms. I can connect with individuals within these rooms. And then after that, take it off the platform, connect with them on another platform, LinkedIn, which is my platform of choice, start different conversations, message people, get them on the phone, connect more, build that business relationship, offer them value, and it has led to significantly more business. So it, it is a way to really maximize networking. Well, and I, I believe that Clubhouse is very beneficial for someone like you because you have to be able to tell a good story. I mean, all you have is the audio. You don't mm -hmm. have visuals. You, you don't have anything to stimulate the people in your room except for your voice and the stories that you tell. So you have to have a good sounding voice, right? <laughs> and then you have to have a good story to tell. What would you say to someone who says, I don't have a story to tell? I would tell them that's the best situation to be in because they do, 
but also it's relatable. And here's what I mean by that. Often when I work with people, they'll, they'll tell me, I literally had someone tell me once, you know what? I have never gotten a shark bite. I've never climbed a mountain and got stuck and have had to cut my arm off. You know, there's a story, there's a gentleman who did that. I believe they made a movie out of it. Um, that's great that you don't have those stories because those stories aren't relatable. Go into an audience and talk to them about having a shark bite or getting cutting your arm off and be, having to climb down a mountain. That is not relatable to the masses. What's relatable is stories that connect with people that are vulnerable, it's being authentic, and it's truly connecting. And where people need to understand what's happening is they need to look at the experiences that they have and question where's the story in this that I can share. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In my opinion, uh, well, it's more of a preference, but I believe Jerry Seinfeld is one of the best stand-up comedians in the last several decades, right? He is phenomenal. And his stage presence and the way he just dominates the stage is, is second to none. My wife and I have had the opportunity to see Jerry Seinfeld live in person a, a couple times, and it's hysterical. Our, literally, our stomachs hurt when we leave the event because we are laughing so hard. And one of the reasons why Jerry Seinfeld is so good is he utilizes observational humor. And what he'll do is as he's living his normal life, he's constantly questioning where's the funny in this. So he has a bit where he is at a grocery store and he's watching the conveyor belt go down and he's seeing the food on the conveyor belt. And he's asking himself, where's the funny in that? There was one time where he's watching a mail carrier put mail into his mailbox. And maybe you and I would watch that thinking that's normal, right? I mean, people have delivered mail for thousands of years. The Roman Empire delivered mail. So it's just a normal occurrence. He's watching that thinking, where's the funny in that? And he's incorporated the conveyor belt at a grocery store and people delivering mail as part of his stand-up comedy bit. And it's hysterical. We need to do the same thing in regards to our story. As we're going through experiences, we need to ask ourselves, where is the story in this that I can share with the next prospect I talk to? Where's the story in this where I can share this with my team? So to answer your question, there's stories happening all around us. How do I know that? Because we're still living and breathing, right? Right now, this is a story that you and I conversing and how we connected and the conversation we started, that's part of a story. So because we're alive, stories are happening all around us, we need to do the job of properly documenting that, filling our story bank, and then connecting those stories to the audience that we need to inspire to action. And that is why people need you. And, and so in saying that, tell us about the services that you offer. I know you have some workshops and you have a lot of services that you offer others. So if I'm having trouble telling my story to the world and I come to you and I say, Matt, I don't have a story to tell. I need help. What are some of the services that you offer that can help me get my story out to the world? So from a one-on-one -on -one coaching perspective, what I'll do is typically you and I would meet for three sessions. And within those three sessions, we would identify different stories that you have. We build your story bank. 
There's a, there's a lot of different things that go into building story banks. Once we have that in place, I would teach you how to utilize that. And then from those three sessions, you would have what you need in order to be successful to connect with your target market. So that's from the, the coaching side. In addition to that coaching, I also offer uh, video packages as well. So often what, what, what was happening was I do these different coaching sessions, we would build out incredibly engaging stories and people would ask me, all right, now what, what do I do with this? It's good verbally, it's good for social media, it's good for email, it's good for all these different things, but what people kept asking for was video. So I actually work with a videographer. So once we have the video, once we have the stories captured um, in your story bank, then we go and we capture them on video. So that is the coaching side. Uh, I also offer workshops uh, in person as well as virtual. And that is, it's between two to three hours, depending on the organization. Now, I, there are some organizations asking me for longer. Uh, I have one coming up that's going to be about four hours. Uh, some want shorter, some ask for about an hour and a half. So it really depends on the organization. But we do deep dives into these strategies. I offer uh, spot coaching right then and there, primarily made up of executives and sales teams. So it is individuals that work for an organization. It's me going in and teaching them these principles and then going from there. So those are the, the two main things that I offer is the workshops as well as the coaching. I will be rolling out a digital course in the future. There's a lot of people that say, all right, well, I'm not able to do the coaching. I'm not able to do the workshops. Is there anything else that you offer? And very soon, hopefully within the next month, I will, it'll be a digital course a strict, a very specifically focused on strategic storytelling from a content creation perspective. Awesome. So everyone has a story to tell. They simply need someone to help them bring that story out. Matt is the person that can help you with that. Now, where can we find you? Sure. So my website, mattzon.com, in addition to connecting with me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, I believe is one of the best social media platforms right now on the planet for business. It is just gorged with value. I highly recommend people start utilizing LinkedIn. So connect with me there, start a conversation. And that would be that those are two great places to start. And we're going to have all of Matt's contact information in the show notes. So you'll be able to reach out to him wherever you want to and on your chosen platform, uh, Clubhouse, LinkedIn, website, email, Anything that he gives us, you guys will have it. Matt, any last words for our audience? So just thank you so much for, for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Again, I, it's an honor and privilege to be connected with you. I really appreciate what you are putting out, especially, you know, we were just talking about LinkedIn. I feel like you offer tremendous value to your audience. So it's just an honor and privilege to be on with you today. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing more of what you're putting out. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Corporate Quitters podcast. If you like us, tell everybody, you know, better yet, head on over to the iTunes store and leave us a five star review. It only takes a few seconds. I can do it with my eyes closed and both hands tied behind my back. So what are you waiting for? If you want to talk to us, leave us a voice message. You might be featured on the show. Check the link in the show notes. Want to carry us wherever you go? Check out the merch on our work website. 
get your I quit, old quit, or just plain quit stuff there. If you really, really like us, you can become a monthly contributor for less than a cup of coffee. Link is in the show notes. And last but not least, quit those limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And we're out. <laughs>